Forgiveness, friendship and belief. With a title like that I suppose you'll be thinking that this will be a religious piece, but no it isn't. I've become used to the fact that I have an unusual family and that my mother especially has had quite an exciting career over the years and an interesting life. Often things are shared coincidentally and over Easter, again, more came to light. So this is how it happened. I had skimmed through Sky's viewing offering and found the unlikely comedy Back to Life and had it on the back in the background while I was playing Pokemon. The programme intrigued me because I thought the comedy element might be quite must be must be quite dark. But because what's funny about murdering someone, doing time and then returning home? People may say they forgive, but do they really? They never forget, now would they? In fact there would always be that sneaking suspicion or sideways glance, surely. A leopard can't change its spots, etc. While contemplating this, my mother walked into the living room, watched the programme for a while and said, The actress looks just like my childhood friend, Claire. She did, she did a life sentence for murder too. I visited her in Holloway Prison. I suppose she must be out by now. And so, reluctantly, the tale began. For part of her childhood, my mother lived in Kent. My mother and her sister were sent to Roman Catholic primary and secondary schools run by the Sisters of Mercy, who had none at all, my mother says. Here she met Claire, the same age as my mother, and her sisters Gillian and Julia, and their older brother Michael. My mother remembers that Claire's mother was a nurse and that her father was in the civil service. They were a lovely family and, a and had a beautiful home near to where, where my mother lived. My mother, my mother knew Claire well. They were friends and went to school together for ten years. She visited her home often and recalls that she went to, the, to her first disco with Claire and that Claire was inadvertently the reason my, mo my mother was run over the day before her twelfth birthday and almost died. What was Claire like, I asked. Did you believe she had the capacity to kill at that time? And this is what she said. Claire was the gentlest of souls, passive and spiritual. She hated sports, wrote poetry, and was very artistic. She was caught out fibbing a few times and got into trouble over that. Sometimes she would go in a trance-like state, just freeze. And she also got very and she, she, she also could get very upset, taking ages to come round. But to be truthful, she was just a bit dippy, nothing more. My grandparents moved back to Germany and Claire and my mother lost contact, but they happened to bump into each other as students at a COC and the Banshees concert at the Hammersmith Odeon in 1981. She looked lovely and was happy. We were really pleased to, to, to see each other, but had no time to catch up, my mother said. Eleven years later, my mother arrived back in the UK after a business trip, switched on the television which was showing the news and saw a picture of her school friend who had just been convicted of murder at the Old Bailey and had been given a life sentence. She was found guilty of stabbing a wheelchair-bound older lady in her care 50 times, killing her. In fact, this incident changed the law for the ref referencing of temporary carers when, when being placed in bookings by recruitment agencies, apparently. I was stunned, my mother said. I could not believe that Claire could be capable of doing something so brutal. I didn't know the facts of the case, but I knew she had been my friend and I hoped that she hadn't changed so much to become a murderer. She phoned the police and asked how Claire was, and they informed her that the that the jury's decision was unanimous, and that Claire was in a poor way. In fact, she was on suicide watch at Holloway Prison. She had received no visits from her family, or from anyone, and they were very worried about her. Without any hesitation, my mother arranged to visit Claire, because despite what, what had happened, my mother knew Claire as a childhood friend, and felt it was her duty to show solidarity, whatever the facts of the case. At this stage, I felt it would be the best to find out the facts, and so scrolled through the internet. I found this on the Innocent website post in 2016. Claire had been working as a freelance journalist, 
for several years before deciding to go to Italy to combine a working holiday, writing and teaching with pleasure. She wanted to use the holiday as a chance to recuperate from an abusive relationship which had lasted, lasted over five years. Living with a violent alcoholic had diminished her self-esteem and she felt the need of a change. She came back several months later, a few weeks before Christmas, and having wit witnessed such corruption in Italy, felt the need to do something a bit more worthwhile than just writing before going to her family over the Christmas holidays. As she had previously worked on a publication entitled Care Weekly, she thought it might be nice to combine the experience of caring for someone with being able to write about the experience. Her ex-boyfriend Des was also threatening her friends that he would kill her if he found her, so she needed a safe haven to go to where she could not be traced. Claire applied to an agency and was given a job straight away, caring for Kathy O'Neill as their previous carer had left them in, in the lurch. They got on straight away and things seemed to be going very well between them. The only problem was that Kathy tended to have a suspicious mind and often told Claire that other carers had stolen things from her, which Claire was sure was imaginary. Then a dispute arose over £130 which Kathy had originally asked Claire to put into the bank but changed her mind when she realised she would need it for a big shop on the Friday before Christmas. She accused Claire of stealing the money and even phoned the bank, but Claire found the money in the back of Kathy's drawer on the Friday. After the shopping trip, they came back and had some tea. Kathy had been ill in the morning with diarrhoea, and before Claire left to go out around 8pm, Kathy went to the toilet and had to stay there. Claire said she would stay with her, but Kathy explained that her friend was coming round to see her and told Claire to go. Claire caught the tube to Ravenscourt Park, where she met up with her friend Tadius as a Polish delicatessen. Then they went by car to the Bar Madrid in Oxford Street, where they were due to meet another friend who did not turn up. They stayed for a few, hour, for a few hours, and Tadius drove Claire home around midnight. He did not come into the house, but drove back to his hotel. When Claire opened the door, she noticed there was, no, there was dense smoke around. Worried, she called out Kathy's name, but there was no reply. She went to the bedroom and lounged before rushing into the bathroom. The smoke was incredibly thick there. She went over and opened the window, looked down to see Kathy's body covered in blood and slightly burnt. She knelt down and shook her, calling her name, but there was no reply. Claire burst into tears and went into a state of shock, entering an almost trance-like state. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Claire can understand more now about how she felt as she went into the same state when her brother was tragically killed four years ago. She could not do anything, would lie or sit dazed for a long time and was unable to speak coherently. When she tried to do something, it would take ages and afterwards she would have no recollection of this. Claire recognises now that she was suffering from particularly triggered by living in abusive suffering from partially triggered by living in an abusive relationship for so long and having to conceal everything inside as it was the only way to survive. She was also too frightened frightened to speak in case she was attacked or it caused an argument. She also felt incredibly guilty about leaving Kathy at home that night, even though she knew she was entitled to go out. She can remember locking the back door, which was slightly ajar, as she was scared that the person might return. It was obvious that the intruder had entered the house that way. The next thing Claire remembered was that was the neighbour coming coming round to the house and asking for Kathy. She then left to telephone the police. She went to look to, she went to look for help herself, but the, but the police then then but the police arrived. She was taken to, to the station for questioning and later charged with Kathy's murder. Assumption of guilt. No, the, the police did not carry out a proper search of the premises, but just assumed Claire was guilty. They hardly searched for fingerprints at all throughout the house, only in the bathroom, even though it was obvious that the place would have been covered in them, particularly as Kathy had many visitors as it was so near to Christmas. 
It emerged during the trial that they had not disclosed a fingerprint which they had discovered that did not match any that had, that had taken off regular visitors to the house. The police had tried to keep this from the defence as they knew if the defence were aware of its existence before the trial they would have been able to carry out a detailed investigation into it. As it was, they were completely taken by surprise and Claire's counsel were therefore unable to cross-examine effectively. It also emerged that the murder weapon had not been discovered, as the pathologist stated that the knives found in the house were unlikely to have been the one that caused the 55 stab wounds in Cappy's body. Yet the prosecution said that she had carried out the murder and then remained in the house all night. The pathologist also stated that Cappy's carotid artery had been severed as well as her jugular vein, so whoever killed Cappy would have, been, would, have, would have to have been covered in blood, particularly as splashes of blood had been discovered all over the bathroom. They only found some faint smudges on the kneecaps of Claire's jeans, which were consistent with her story of having knelt over her body. The, patho the pathologist put the time of death at 2am, but said it could have happened up to six hours earlier or later. The prosecution at the trial made the su supposition that Claire had killed Cathy at around 9pm, and yet, if it, if it was the case, why would she have stayed in the house all night? She had ample opportunity to leave, which would have been her likely action, had she been guilty. Claire did not give evidence as she was advised not to by, by her counsel and was badly shaken by the whole trial repercussions issuing from it. The jury judged her on ten days of her life without knowing anything about her apart from the fact that she had no previous convictions and was a university graduate. The QC she was, she was due to have pulled out at, at, the last minute, at, at the last minute as he was in the middle of a huge fraud trial, so Claire only met her new QC the day before the trial was about to start. Given the seriousness of the charge, they should have been given a postponement, but this was not but this was not granted. In the end, the jury convicted her on ten to two majority, but if they had known more facts of the case, it is probable that she would have been acquitted. She had asked for her friends to be character witnesses as they could have stated that Claire was always calm and easy going, but her counsel decided not to call them. The prosecution tried to maintain that the motive for the killing was to dispute over the hundred thirty pounds. Claire had money from her work in Italy and came from a wealthy middle-class background, so it was very improbable that she would have been desperate for money. She was also politically active and campaigned on many issues including CND, ecology, women's issues, equality and pacifism. Ironically, she went on a candlelit vigil in Dublin, campaigning for the release of the Birmingham Six. The person who had the most motive for the murder was Cappy's brother, as they had several arguments days before the killing concerning property in Ireland which belonged to both of them. Yet John wanted Cathy to give him her share. He was due to visit her just before Christmas. Claire can also remember talking to a man on the very morning of the murder and even giving him her address as he promised to come round and look at the boiler which wasn't working properly. She told him she was going out that evening as he offered to meet her in a local pub. The judges summing up at the trial was very biased and dwelt mainly on the prosecution story of what they alleged had happened that night, hardly dealing with the defence's points. There was no forensic evidence to link her to the killing so it does not hold up. At the time, they tried to trace Taddeus, her alibi, at the, delic at the, delic at the delicatessen in his hotel, but he had already left without leaving an address. After sticking Polish notices up at various Pol Polish clubs, he eventually made contact in 2017, after having been abroad for a long time, so now Claire could prove she went out that night. Additionally, after threatening judicial review several times in a two-and-a-half-year wait, her legal team eventually gained access to the fingerprint evidence for an independent expert to examine closely. She, she has also had a beneficial report done by Dr. Gillian Messi, who is an expert in post-traumatic stress disorder, which could, which should explain Claire's inheritor. Later news is that, inertia. Latest news is that a private investigator has discovered a neighbour who lived across the street from Claire and Kathy, 
and he originally told the police that he saw a man going to the house the night the murder was committed, but the police neglected to take a statement from him. I showed this to my mother, who said that the police at the time were pretty convinced and pointed out that the website article tells Claire's version of the story only. She went on to say what happened when she visited Claire at Holloway. I'd never been to a prison before, and it was far less grim than I imagined. I remember I even managed to park outside. There were a lot of security checks, naturally, and you did feel very enclosed. My boyfriend at the time was dead against me visiting Claire, but I did feel I should. Claire looked the same as always, and we were pleased to see each other. I told her that I had been that I had been abroad and knew nothing of the case, but we had shared a childhood together, and irrespective of what had happened, I was her friend, and wanted to support her in any way I could. What followed was hurtful, but I suppose expected to put in to put in it in perspective, we should look up look up a bit more about Claire. Claire refused to plead guilty to the crime at any point, knowing that she would therefore have to serve her entire life sentence. Perhaps she, she had become institutionalised in a short time. Perhaps she had found her niche helping other inmates in writing. At one point she was transferred to Durham Prison. I was on, I was on the same wing as Rosemary West. She was then moved to Cook and Wood Prison in Kent to be closer to, to family and friends, although her parents had retired to Los Angeles. And in East Sutton Park Open Prison near Maidstone in Kent. She was released on temporary licence from there in, two, in, 20, in 2013 to go to work for a day, but ran away and so failed to return and was in breach of her terms of licence. She was found in West Sussex five days later. My mother explained, Claire only wanted to sustain a friendship with me. If I believed that she hadn't committed the crime, she asked me repeatedly if I believed her version of events, and I answered that I didn't know and that this didn't matter to me, but it mattered to her. You could only be her friend if you believed her 100%, and if you didn't, she didn't want your friendship on any level. So, watching the bleak comedy back to life, I suppose the reality is that the perpetrator has to admit the crime and be remorseful to earn forgiveness. That people may not entirely forgive because they can't forget the crime, so things will never be normal. And that forgiving someone without believing them may not be acceptable to the perpetrator.